Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. When is it a good idea to quit your dream job? When it isn't working for you and affects your health mentally and physically. John showed some guts and belief in himself in leaving his miserable, high-paying job. He took a 40% pay cut for a better work-life balance. Let's listen to his story. We have John Pye today. He's from Chicago. And I know that you've had, and we'll get to that a little later, but you've had some hiccups in your career and you did well by that. I'll reveal that you're a childhood friend of my son, so I know you pretty well. So it's a comfortable conversation. But what I would like to explore a little bit is there's a part in my book about teaching your kids and helping your kids find their career. I thought you had a pretty straight line to where you went, and and here I find out you did not. The first thing I guess I want to talk about is when you were little, and I don't care what age, but, you know, did your parents do things with you to help you find what it is you'd like to do in your career? I'm curious. Yeah. First, thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure talking with you. So my parents definitely have exposed me to a lot of things growing up, and it was kind of busting everything up and seeing what sticks. And they kind of figured out my personality, my interests, whether it's something more active, whether it's something more creative, exposed me to like instruments, sports, you know, chemistry sets, you know, those things that um, you can buy at those toy stores, whereas you you create slime or create geology rocks. Um, I think that's cool. Yeah, And it's nice your parents were nice enough to be active and help you. And you have two siblings, right? Just one. One? Okay. One and, they help, and they help both of you. Yes. My brother takes a little bit more after my mom and he's a little bit more soft-spoken, whereas I take after my dad and he's a straightforward guy, um, can be very methodical, so very practical. They found out like, okay, you know, he's like you. So let's figure out something more science-based. And he was a chemical engineer at a uh, research and development company. Wow. Um, I recently retired, so enjoying the nice, relaxing uh, lifestyle, even though that's not something he's uh, used to. (laughs) Yeah, he probably has a hard time sitting still, I I would imagine. Well, that's why they have a dog at Chapin Company and keep his hand full. That's funny. So they didn't force you, like you said, oh, I'm more like my dad. So your dad didn't assume that you're going to do what he does. They kind of explored it with you and didn't assume anything. So that takes off the pressure from you, right? Yeah. They asked me, you know, straight off, like, what interests you? What do you want? You know, do you want something science-based? Do you want something like you're stubborn? Do you want to be a lawyer or do you want to argue? Uh, do you want just to make money or, you know, what do you want? It was a very straightforward question where I had no answer to. Yeah. How would you know? Not to be silly with your parents, but how would you know what you like or don't like? But you did mention you like to debate. That was an option. Um, You like math and science, so that's engineering and science's open door there. So you had a lot of different options, and you probably, like you said, you went to different camps and did different things. And so as time progressed, you started to see the light of what you wanted to do, which led to... Pharmacy. So before you got there, you thought you wanted to be a dentist, right? Yeah. So I did, I did, uh, I I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I didn't know what exactly, you know, there's like medical doctors, there's dentists, there's pharmacists, there's all the full sort of things. There's even nursing. 
And I did take one of those career quizzes that in high school they have you do. And I think the very first one that the very first option I got was midwife. Oh my gosh. That, oh wow. Okay. And, and as the ignorant me, and I'm like, I'm a guy. Why are they having me be a wife? And I'm like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> Delivering babies, right? Yes, yes. The number two or three option after that was like Dennis. So I'm like, okay, let's figure that out. You should have went home and told your parents, guess what I'm going to be? I had a sheet of paper. I was like, this is my list. They're like, it's white. Why? And I'm like, hey, go ask me. Uh, ask the quiz. Well, I, you would imagine it's the science and the helping people. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, engineering, your personality is much more gregarious than most engineers, too. Yes. You know, one thing, let's acknowledge that your parents had the, the means and the area to help you explore this, where a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, they may not have those options, but they could certainly look up different clubs and camps and things that are free to explore what they like to do, Right. Absolutely. I know it, like in Chicago, they have free uh, condition for Illinois residents or Chicago residents. And they have it almost every winter where you can go to like the aquarium, you can go to the field museum for free. And I know that's full of children on those days. I've experienced that. Yes. But that's a great avenue that you can explore. I know the DIA definitely has options as well. And I know it's on numerous of field trips in school exploring that that museum. I think there are a lot of opportunities in different days. You just kind of have to kind of look at what's available. You look what's available. You can go to the library. Some people, if they're not even getting on the internet, you could go to the library and ask for help there. And you can get on the internet at the library. The other thing that is probably different from where you grew up and my son is that a lot of the students at the high schools, it was assumed you're going to college. So it's already popped into your head. You're going to college where it's odd because I've met students from our area that they were going to go to college. And that was actually more unusual. But there are plenty of wonderful jobs that don't involve college. And we won't go into that in this podcast, but we're not just promoting college. I just want to kind of share your journey because it was an interesting one. So growing up, your parents assumed you go to college. The other thing is they talked to you about their budget, which I thought was very interesting. I want parents to take note of this. You actually shared with me that they showed you that they were saving money for college and that's why you didn't go on a lot of luxurious vacations and such, right? Correct, yes. Yeah. So one time my dad just straight up showed me a check and he says, I deposit this into your college fund every month. If wow. you want, I can cancel this and we can go on some so-and-so trip or do this, but I want to make sure that you are set up or your career or your life outside of this house. So I definitely think in retrospect that I admire and respect that. And I completely understand that. And I know that I discussed this with my partner that any future children, I definitely want to follow that same avenue and, you know, that same tactic and strategy. Well, they involved you. They said, look, this is what we're doing for you. We have confidence in you. And I know um, my son had some trouble the first year in the engineering school. And I'll never forget this story. He came home and I think he was getting frustrated, discouraged, whatever it is in school. And a lot of the sciences want to weed out people, right? I mean, it's tough. And I said, you know, you know me to be a pretty frugal person. And he said, yeah, yeah, you are. And I said, so do you really think I'd waste all this money 
that I'm spending on college for you if I didn't think you could do it. Mm-hmm. And I think for him, the light bulb went on. Like, I have confidence in you. I think you can do this. I believe you can. I'm spending money. My money is there helping you out. And uh, he had a slice in college too. We didn't just give him a ride. But the fact is, if your parents have confidence and support to you, that helps a lot. I don't think everybody has that, right? Absolutely. So that's kind of nice. So then your journey into college, you said you wanted to go to U of M. You ended up at U of D. And you thought you were going to be a dentist, right? Yes. So it's a accelerated program. Usually it's a four-year undergrad program, and then you apply, and then you get into dental school. It's another four years, but it's actually a seven-year program where they super condense all of your classes into three years of undergrad, and then you move on to the dental school within your fourth year. So it shaves off one year of overall education. Exactly. And I had to apply for it. I had to do a bunch of interviews for it. And for that interview... I would say I am a very much an introverted person, especially at that time. And my biology teacher was amazing. And she told me after school, after the sixth hour, bring your suit, dress up, and I'm going to pretend to be an interviewer. And you're going to pretend we're going to simulate an actual interview. Isn't that nice? It's amazing to have <laughs> like what you have at your fingertips. And... Everything was was touched upon, whether it's my body language, where usually I would walk. And at the time, I would put shoulders like, uh-uh. you walk with confidence. You walk with a sense of almost borderline cockiness where you feel like you belong. It's about your mindset. She trained you. Absolutely. That is absolutely wonderful. So, you know, I did get accepted. And, you know, much like your son, I had some struggles in the first year. And things didn't really work out where I kind of found myself outside of the dental program. It was the first deflating moment I've had in a very long, you know, like I think in life where they said, you're not good enough to be in this program. You could still pursue dentistry, but just not in this accelerated program. And And that probably felt terrible to you. I'm sure it felt devastating. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm over my head a little bit. Absolutely. My brother was a high achiever. A lot of my friends, I would hear, you know, you always hear the good, successful stories, but you don't really hear struggles. And hearing that, I kind of felt alone, you know, like I really screwed up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I did have uh, one semester where I was like, you know what, I'm still going to pursue dentistry just my own way. And it took one of my organic chemistry professors who was quirky and you kind of find it endearing. So I just felt myself talking to him. He's like, hey, why don't you just switch departments to mine? I'll take you in and we'll figure out what you want to do. And so I switched majors from biology to biochemistry and figured out after about a semester or two after that, I'm like, maybe dentistry isn't my thing. Maybe this is not the career I'm meant to be in. So I looked at what other alternatives, like in healthcare, what can I do? And I thought, you know what? Maybe pharmacy it's a lot more technical. You have to learn a lot about chemistry, a lot, you know, a lot of these things. And I'm like, I can do it. So that led my journey towards pharmacy. And, you know, I graduated college, you know. Did you like pharmacy. it after you got into it? Did you enjoy it and say, okay, this, this is up my alley? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a very different path of biology to biochemistry. It's a lot of 
chemistry, yes. math. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm taking ask my dad after all. You know, maybe I'm meant to be a biochemist or a, you know something in you know that field. So definitely love that change in education. And but you, you know, had I, people helping you. You had people helping you, which uh, that professor. Oh, I'll take you on the one that practiced with you on interviews. I mean, that's priceless, really. But how did you feel when you were exploring the options? Did you have an open mind or were you like panicked? Like, oh my gosh, I better find something. What was that like? I mean, I think the natural reaction of anybody is panicked. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, let's be fair. Because I mean, everyone around you is doing something, you know, whether it's my friend group from home where one's going to be a teacher, he loves music, you know what he's going to do. One's going to be an engineer. One is in finance. So, you know, like, and everyone around you is still in the accelerated dental program or they're in nursing school, an engineer, and you feel like they know what they were, they're going to do. Or like, I'm going to go to medical school. And I'm here thinking, I have no, no idea what I'm doing. And everybody's successful but you, which is not true, but that's how you're feeling. Absolutely. Everybody's got their direction, but you don't. And you were, you were kind of struggling. But the struggle, it turned out that you found what you liked, which is Absolutely. kind of cool. During college, now you started working for pharmacy. You were in the pharmacy industry. So you got to get in the industry and work it, right? And you hated it. <laughs> that is uh, let, 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 <laughs> Am I saying it wrong? Did I jump the gun there a little bit? Um, no, not at all. It's more no? like, okay. it, it was just, I hated it probably just, what is not, it's, it's an understatement. I just couldn't be in there. I love helping people. I love working pharmacy. I love working with people. It's just that, well, you know. Even without revealing the company, your atmosphere at work. Uh, the, the retail pharmacy. Yeah, retail Exactly. Pharmacy. You're a corner of pharmacy. You know, there are a few of them that are major chains and there's some in grocery stores. And some treat others better than others. But one of the ones I worked for did not treat... They were cutting a lot of help, a lot of uh, labor. You know, they were very much more metric based, where it's like, all right, you got to do X amount at this efficiency by this amount of time. You better not leave work behind to the next person the next day. Um, yeah, talk about your conditions. They did that sound nice. The conditions can be varied in terms of like, you don't, you never know what, how many hours you're working. Um, you know, I would work maybe sometimes six hours sometimes 12 hours. And some of those, well, actually the majority of those shifts, you were not really given a break. And, you know, if you ever see the pharmacy, whether you have to pick up a medication or not, or get your flu shot, they're all standing, they're all scrambling around. And so I would spend like 12 hours a day on my feet, running, looking at a screen, always on the phone, you know, scurrying to, to make sure all the prescriptions and medications are correct same quantity, same people. So there's no error. And it was cold. You were at a, at the drive-thru and you said it was like zero degrees out <laughs> and you worked the night shift, right? I mean, to me, that sounded horrible. That sounded absolutely horrible. That was the uh, polar vortex of 2019. And it was and cold. It was really cold, especially in Chicago, um, the Chicago area where yeah, I was working the overnight shift. So it was 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. By myself, no insulation. But you can't fall asleep. You can't fall asleep in that weather, at least. Oh, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm I just... was 
I was wearing gloves inside. Just like, you know, imagine like as a pharmacist, I'm wearing a white coat and I'm wearing winter gloves, you know, typing. And, and it was a funny scene. And um, that was the breaking point where I was like, I can't do this at like, it's weird. I would just say nothing good ever happens between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. And it was like one of those moments where that's like my lunch break and I'm eating lunch at like 3.30 in the morning. Like, this can't be my life. And actually, that's a good segue. You're like, this can't be my life. I can't keep doing this. Since this podcast shares stories to support your financial health, I thought your physical health may be important to you too. If there was one thing you could start doing right now that would change your overall health for the better, would you do it? If you could lower or eliminate some medications, would it be worth it to you to try something new? With so much information overload, it's overwhelming to know the right way to take care of your health and prevent future problems. Eating better and exercising consistently can be tough, but it doesn't have to be when you've got the right person in your corner. Rachel McClellan of Personal Health Management can help you. With over 10 years experience as a registered dietitian and a certified personal trainer, Rachel brings it. She works with all ages, fitness levels, health statuses and abilities, and even works with your medical team. You will get all of the encouragement and support you need, so email Rachel at phm change your life at gmail.com. Go ahead, make that appointment with Rachel, phm, change your life at gmail.com. So then you decide I'm going to look for another job. You did it while you had this job. And let's state the conditions were bad, but you right out of college were getting paid really well. Yes. That's the one positive there. But I guess my point is money isn't everything, is it? Not at all. Right. Um, you know, health. Happiness, family, you know, my friend always, who's a fellow pharmacist, he still works in the uh, retail pharmacy world. His biggest fear is not being there for his kids during the summer times where, you know, it gets sons like T-ball. He says, that's my number one dream to be there for my kids. And that's right. He may not be there for holidays if he has to work. He may not be there for, you know, his kids events. And it's really hard to make plans with him. You know, I'm flexible. But I have to be like, what is your day off? Is it weekday? Is it weekend? I'm getting early dinner with him tomorrow. And that's his random day off for the next two weeks. And you said when you asked for a day off that you had to negotiate your personal days to get a certain day off. So you were giving oh, okay. up, you're giving up personal things that were promised to you just so you can have a day off. So just not the ideal situation. I want you to share with everyone how many different jobs you applied for while you were looking for a new job. I think this number is astounding. It was easily over 100. I think I remember yeah. looking at it, it was like 128. And I'm just thinking, well, am I going to get a response? Am I ever going to get past the first interview of the screening? It's deflating. <laughs> and you shared, you did have, um, I think you called a headhunter yeah. and they called you about a certain job. And that one didn't pan out. But then because that headhunter met you, how did it get that you found this job now? There was something in there that was kind of interesting, I remember. So I think one thing I definitely did was I looked on LinkedIn. I looked everywhere for possible ins, whether it be classmates. And to preface, this was in the pharmaceutical industry where that was my original goal. And so the recommendation that I had always heard is, look for a contracting company, just look for somebody, talk to somebody. Like, you know, don't be uh, just like a resume, don't be a, just a name, talk to someone, 
get your name in, get some familiarity. If, that, if something doesn't work out, something will come up. And they and meet you, then they start to get to know you and they're thinking about you, right? Correct. So I did reach out to a contracting company and I managed to talk to a recruiter and she said, you know what, I'm going to be working on your case, on your resume, and I'll have it on hand and let's just like check in periodically and see what's out there. You know, there were definitely some opportunities. I'm like, this is perfect. Let's go for it. And then they came to fruition of it. Like, you know what? They want someone with a little bit more experience. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. So, you know, what's the next step? And then she's finally came to me as like, this is in an industry that's adjacent to what you're looking for. It's fits your minimum. Like, you know, what is your price range? I'm like, nah, this is the lowest I'll go. It's like, this fits it. Are you willing to go with it? And I'm like, you know what? Let's try it out. You know, always decline the offer. And that ended up being my first job out of the pharmacy world. And it was a big pay cut. Um, it was closer to 40% of what I was making as a pharmacist. So it's a 60% contract. pay cut? Yeah. It was almost... You're almost at half of what you're making yeah. before. And yeah. lucky for you that when you were a pharmacist, even though you were miserable... You said that you were paying off debt and putting money in the bank and doing all the right things, which Absolutely. I'm very happy. I'm very happy you did that. I just want to note that. But, so you hear, and, and you said your mom thought you were crazy. So everyone thought I was crazy. Tell us about all the things you gave up for this job. Well, I mean, fortunately, it wasn't that much because, you know, I spent but just the pay. Everything else was, I guess that's my point. It was just the pay. Everything else lined up, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I was. I spent four years as a poor grad student and I spent a year as a pharmacist. So I had one year of like having a, a good income, but what yeah. I was doing aggressively was can't have debt. So I have a significant amount of student loan debt, but I also had some credit card debt that I had as a grad student. I wasn't going to be working 40 hours a week. I was working closer to 20 hours a week. And that's a lot on top of grad school. Oh yeah, it is. So I put a good amount on my credit card. And I found my first goal. Maybe it's like a little bit of OCD in me. I'm like, I don't want to see any number on that. So every month I put like 80% of my paycheck into credit card payments and I knocked that out in a few months. That's amazing, really. I approached the next step, which was if I get laid off, if I hurt myself on the job and I can't work, this is something that pays me by the hour, not by a salary. So if I can't work, I don't get paid. So I aggressively put money in a rainy day fund, whether it's something for my car, which actually about a month or two in, randomly my AC cut out. While driving to work, a rock just punctured my AC piping and I completely oh. had to replace it. So that was a good $800 down the drain almost immediately. And I'm like, this is the reason why I have that, that fund where I just put a lot of money into that where I had asked a number of people, what's your comfort level of a rainy day fund? You know, my parents were like, if you're conservative, you really want to like to save the minimum amount, like four to six months. They said, well, months is good. Uh, I remember asking your son, like, what what's I your, like, like, what's yours? And he said, ideally, that's how much do you want to do? Like 12 months. That's yeah. conservative. 12 months of pay is conservative. Um, for business owners, it's not because a business owner, they're, income goes up and down. Uh, people that get regular pay, you could get away with the four to six months. So you're you're ultra conservative. That's fair though. That's just a statement. It's not a judgment. It just is pretty conservative, but that's all right. Because in this instance, 
you took this pay and cut. It was a contract job. Your mom was like, are you sure? Type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I forgot about the drive time and all that. Was the drive time better or worse? I can't remember what you said. It was massively worse. It was. Yeah, it th- I thought there was some negative there. Not a lot of negative, but it was less paid, long drives, but you'd be happier. And so I guess the whole point, honestly, is that you took a chance to be happier rather than all about money, which is very unusual. A lot of people would not do that. You know, I actually worried about you because I remember we talked about a little bit student debt. You know, here I wanted you to get rid of it. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, do you really want to take a pay cut? Could you last a little bit longer? But really, that's your own personal choice. And you know how miserable you were. I didn't, if that makes sense. Your parents didn't. I mean, everybody has their own personal choice. So you knew what you needed. You went ahead and you did it. And how did it all turn out? Um, I was amazingly, um, yeah. you know, today actually making more than I was as a pharmacist, whether it be with benefits, the working conditions, everything. The original job that I've had was about 40 to 45 miles away. And That's a with, long ways. Yeah, you know, with Chicago traffic, it was about <laughs> hour and a half, two hours each way. Wow. And I was very fortunate to have a very understanding boss. And she didn't allow me to work remotely, but once or twice a week, depending on the weather or whether it's like, you know what, I'll just take a day or two. And that was perfectly fine. And the biggest thing that I always noted was, I know this industry is something, well, something I had always asked was, what's the ceiling? What can I do? How high can I reach if I want to? And that was something more that appealed to me than being a pharmacist, where the room to grow professionally, as well as not just as a pharmacist, but, you know, to make a jump up. And it's a high floor, but very low ceiling. Whereas the new job I had, the floor was moderately, well, mid-level, but the ceiling is as high as you want it to be. You could be a director, a VP. So um, I knew that long-term that does correlate with the pay, which when I was like, you know what, that's fine. I can kind of sacrifice my well-being for the time being, whether it's I don't take a vacation, you know, internationally and I can do like a road trip with friends or a road trip with family like I'd always had been. I never really grew up with a lot of affluent things and nothing changed. So I thought, you know what, nothing really changed. I just had to be smart about it. And I made it work where about a year or two later, I got promoted, um, was not happy with the compensation with inflation. So I looked for another job. And I had worked with an additional headhunter and I ended up getting a position that paid me about 50% more than my salary with a signing bonus and it was fully remote. You kept looking. In other words, you didn't stop. You kept looking for something better and better, which is being active because you weren't happy where you were because some people are complacent and happy where they're at. You're lucky or you did have kids. You're young. You had flexibility to take that first risk. Right. And I remember you saying you were a little bit upset at first when you took that job that was a 50% pay cut. And you said, you know, my friends are buying houses and they're doing this, they're doing that. And everybody does that. Everybody compares to what's around them, but you've got your own journey. And I can tell you as a business owner, who has way behind all my friends because I was building the business. I didn't pay myself that much, didn't start making money for a good 10 years. But people don't realize that. So some of us are late bloomers and that's fair. 
So you kept looking. I get what you're saying, and I'm just going to repeat it for the audiences. You got a raise, but inflation was so high that it just ate up what your raise was. So it was like you didn't even get a raise because the cost of living went up and it didn't really give you any extra money in your pocket. So as you kept looking for another job, you found another one that the pay is better and the conditions are better. And uh, you ended up with a big raise there. And now you're further ahead than what you started, but you had to step a bit back to get there, right? Yes. And I, it took a lot of either step backs or, you know, a side grade. And, you know, I was very blessed and fortunate to have a sports structure around me that not only understood, but supported and actively, you know, encouraged me to keep going. I mean, what would have happened if you just said, and we all hate this, you're miserable with your job. Every time you go out for beers with your buddies, you're complaining about your job and you don't do anything about it. Where would you be right now? Miserable. It's cold today, just for the record. Yes. And imagine if you're still at that job, what kind of person would you've turned out to be? Probably pretty miserable and crabby, I would say. Yes. I can definitely sense that towards my end of my pharmacy career, my mentality as a person, as well as a pharmacist was, you know, deteriorating. And that's not something that I would want anyone to be facing. So not only for my own health, but for everyone's health, you know, right. I had to step away. And that's not something that I could buy back. I can't buy back my health standing for 10, 12 hours a day. Before I had left, um, we were not entitled a break or even a meal break. And now due to pharmacy laws, pharmacists must be on the premises at all times during operations. So if the pharmacist went on lunch, pharmacy has to be closed. And they don't want you closed. Absolutely. Exactly. When do people go uh, to the pharmacy during their lunch break? So after I had left, they finally started implementing a 30-minute closure where the pharmacist is going to be on the lunch break. But imagine for how many years that this was in place where just now they're finally getting 30-minute breaks. <laughs> wow. It was not something that I was wanting to be my entire life. So are you still considered a pharmacist? Yes. I make sure that I keep my license active. You know, I do all my education, my licensure. My current title is not a pharmacist, but I definitely learned a lot from being a pharmacist of time management, communication skills and stuff like that, that I found to be very valuable. And I don't regret my education, my career and the path I took to get me where I am today. If, you know, I had the same exact job, but without that journey, I would not be able to communicate as well. I would not be able to know what it means to struggle, both from a professional as well as a personal sense. And to make sure that you get everything that you can out of experience, whether it be positive or negative. I agree with that. And I don't know the percentage. I don't have statistics, but you talk to people around you. There's a lot of us, including me, never thought I'd be a business owner. Didn't even go to school to be a business owner. So I'm in a completely different industry than what I thought I'd be in. And I think that's common. I think that a lot of people do a little bit of searching later in life. And you try your best to help your kids explore. But, you know, once you get in school, sometimes you find out the job's different than what you thought. It's the experience itself, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of interesting. So isn't it nice this all turned out? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. um, you think about it. I think the message today for listeners is really, you kept banging at it. You kept trying, you kept looking, you didn't stop looking. I mean, to 120 some jobs you set, 
And I know my son, when he was laid off, he was up there close to 100 looking for different jobs. Think about that a minute, applying for 100 different jobs and how much time and effort that takes. And you just kept doing it and doing it. So that's a lesson to me. And the idea that you are flexible enough to change careers from a dentist to a pharmacist to now um, you're in a science industry, but you're doing something different than a pharmacist, right? Yes. I, so I work in with regulations. So I work basically with the FDA as well as other international health bodies and to communicate to make sure that my company's medical devices make sure that they follow all those safety and performance standards. I hate to say you're a compliance person, but it sounds like you're in compliance, right? It's, it's regulatory compliance pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. There's that lawyer in you that we talked about earlier. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Isn't that That's who you are, which is wonderful. I appreciate that you shared your story. It's personal. Sometimes um, people aren't willing to share stories when they didn't go exactly as planned. But that's why I like your story. I want people to know that life's not perfect. You take great turns and you end up places and you don't know sometimes where you're going to end up. But you kept trying. And I think that's what helped. You know, the more times you keep trying, the more likelihood you'll be successful, right? So thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes along the saying that we had said before, you know, I always tell people, it's okay to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. It's inevitable, but just don't try to make it again. Basically to learn from it, make sure that, you know, what was your role in it? Could you have done anything better? You know, I tell my partner this all the time, you know, whether it be confidence issues or, you know, your belief to perform in, you know, in the professional sense, you know, always learn from it. And I wouldn't say these were mistakes, but these were definitely detours. Yeah, I wouldn't say mistakes. I think that the, you just, um, it wasn't working for you and you were smart enough to say, okay, this isn't working for me. I got to do something different. So don't keep doing the same thing over and over. That would be a mistake, right? Because you've always said, don't don't make the same mistake twice. So this isn't working out. You're right. It would be a mistake to keep trying and banging your head doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I've always said to my kids, I remember my daughter was at college and I said, I hope you fail a lot. And she's like, excuse me? She goes, I think you said that wrong. And I said, no, no, no. If you're failing, it means you're trying. Mm -hmm. And you've got to learn to fail in life so that you can bounce back and keep going. I think it's a good quality to have. So that's okay. It's okay to fail a little bit. And that's a strong word, but you didn't fail. So maybe I shouldn't use that word. I don't know, but you got to keep trying when it's not working for you. So we could call it failure or we could say it wasn't working for you and you change. I mean, it makes us human, right? You know, that's right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.